The visibility of the world around us, as Caroline has just sung it for us. What do we do into that world? What's Fitzroy's role in our nation across our world? What's Fitzroy's role in our local community? What's Fitzroy's role in the personal moving of our lives on a daily basis? We've been looking at that over the course of a number of weeks, as Michael has said, and we've been trying to find out who we are. And one of the problems with it is that it was a series that ended just a little too soon before Advent started. So the preacher's in this dilemma of where do I go in between? And I couldn't help last week but think, well, that's all of the things that we might be, but so what? What does God want to do with all the things that Fitzroy might be? And is he the X factor? Sorry to even use the phrase. That takes who we are and makes it into something that can live. As I've been thinking of this entire series of uh, what we are as a church, I have really, I suppose the verses that have been uh, like a dog at my heels, whether it's Buttons on Facebook or Molly on Facebook or Odie on Facebook, there's a sort of a puppy obsession going on within the congregation. And if you have one, you'd be very welcome to the Puppy for Jesus group that meets quite regularly to go for walks. But the dog that's been sort of niggling at my heels over these last number of weeks, the, the verses have been those in Acts chapter 2. They seem the obvious verses, the verses that tell us what the church was right at its outset. And it tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which I'm hoping is what we do when we open the word, that we, they committed themselves and devoted themselves to the fellowship, which is warm and vibrant, it seems to me, in Fitzroy. They committed themselves to the breaking of bread. These are the things that they surrounded themselves with right at the start. They were biblically based. They were Christ-centered. They were a community that was accountable and they realized that Jesus does not save us for us to live in islands or on our own. This is the core to what our DNA is, not only in the over 100 years that Fitzroy's existed, but right back to the beginnings 2,000 years ago. But then it seemed to me that something happened to that commitment as we read the rest of the Acts of the Apostles. This book that Luke wrote to try and say what the church did, I suppose the incarnation of Jesus after Jesus had gone back to his father. Suddenly the body of Christ is no longer the word become flesh living amongst us, but the word become flesh in his body, the church. And I tried to think, well, if I'm gonna do something on where the Acts of the Apostles went after that, what will I read? We could have looked at, I love the start of Acts chapter 8, where the first people to take the gospel away from Jerusalem, from that place of fellowship that we're reading about here in Acts 2, were not the apostles. It tells us the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, and it seems the ordinary folk. There are no ordinary folk. We were just saying as we prayed with the worship band earlier, 
the priesthood of all believers as they waited for the minister to come and pray for them. And uh, we were joking about that and saying how that theology, that doctrine seemed to die right there at the start of the 17th century. It was a great idea of the Reformation, but it seems that Protestantism is just as dependent sometimes in the clergy as what we tried to break free of and say that everybody in this fellowship has their gifts to bring. Indeed, it seems to me the prayer, the reading, and the song was well enough without a sermon this morning, and that didn't come from the man who puts the collar on for communion now and again. What happened in Acts 8 was the ordinary people were the evangelists, and they went and they shared what they'd found in that biblically-based, Christ-centered, accountable community. And then a bit later on in Acts chapter 8, we find Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, and we see how it happened in that personal evangelism way. There he just shared the faith, bumped into somebody, they got involved in conversation, the guy's reading the Bible. You ever been where I, you're in these odd places like airports, or you're on a bus and there's somebody across from you reading the Bible, and you're thinking, oh, am I Philip? Am I going to have to go over and say to them, what, what do you happen to be reading? If you did that and they said, I'm in Isaiah, what would you sort of freak out or whatever? But this idea that people went and they just shared and got involved in the conversation. There's conversations going on all over Belfast and all the meals are all the places that people went out last night and shared together. And all the staff canteens or in all the offices. People are talking about what do we think about the recession or what do we think about... Uh, these books that say there's no God, or what do we think about how the world is? And we have a voice in those conversations and those in the acts out of this center of fellowship got involved in the conversations. We could, of course, have went then to Acts 13 where Barnabas and Paul are set aside for what uh, Tony likes to tell me are not missionary work anymore, but overseas personnel. People that were sending, like Colin Sims, is going to go back to Argentina and set up a theological seminary. Um, this was what the early church did. It found the people like the Gastons and Carl McFarland and the McElwains, and, and they sent them out. They sent them beyond their own little confines of their own communities. This is what happened from the nurturing center of church. There is that reconciliation work in Acts chapter 9 and 10 where Peter and Cornelius and the Gentile thing and the un that's a huge issue of different groups coming together and finding some sense of peace and unity and reconciliation. There were the social issues. The first committee that was set up, oh yes, it's biblical, we can't get out of it. Um, the first committee that was set up in the early church was because the apostles were so much involved in evangelism and ministering and nurturing that they set a committee up to look after the widows and those in the margins who needed people to look after them because they were so busy doing other stuff. Or Acts chapter 15 where the first general assembly met, I think if you find the right text, hidden somewhere at the moment in the Middle East, it says Presbyterian Council of Jerusalem. At least that's what some people uh, in Northern Ireland, Presbyterians might think. But there was this moment when all the leaders had to get together and debate. What do we do about this? And the thing that I think we learn about that is that they were doing the stuff before they talked about the stuff. We talk and we set up committees and we put papers together to see how we're going when we meet the problems as we go about the work. This was all happening out of this moment in Acts, as we read in Acts chapter 2, where we have the sacraments, the word, and fellowship. And so we've been in our journey, and uh, I think Michael has 
summed it up beautifully and prayed for us in our prayer of intercession. Way back a few number of weeks ago, we were ragamuffins. Then we realized we were grace-lavished ragamuffins, that as we stumble after Jesus, somehow we're loved as we are. We discovered that we're particles of light because tomorrow across Belfast and beyond, you'll find that there's little lights from Fitzroy and from other churches who are involved in the law courts and in schools and in the university and in industry and shops and all kinds of places where we will go to be particles of light. We want to be close enough to whisper to the needs of the area around about and our, um, our group that are looking at community development through the Tear Fund uh, Discovery Course are beginning to make those connections. We are artistic, imaginative. We are peacemakers. And that's all good. But as I thought about this week and I thought about the Acts of the Apostles and I thought, what do we do with all that? I kind of decided that we needed to see where God fits into all of that. I tried to get a title for it. I remember Val English once saying, and I've used it already today, and, and it's a great thing where he said, we don't want to be moving on the momentum of the past. We want to be constantly moving on the impetus of God's fresh movement of his spirit. And that's what we need to be. We've looked at who we are. We've looked at who we've been. We've looked at what we are as we gather. But we don't want to move in the momentum of what's past. We want to build on the shoulders of the giants who have sat in these pews before us. But we need a fresh momentum. The Holy Spirit's impetus rather than momentum. Don't want a free wheel from here in the momentum of some past movement. We want fresh every Sunday. Not to meet God as usual at 11 o'clock in Fitzroy. But to meet God as unusual every Sunday morning in Fitzroy. To get a new impetus of his spirit to see what he would have us do. Yes, as individuals. Yes, as a community in the area. And more than that, as a body of believers across the world. An impetus. So I titled today, We Are Impetist. We could have got impotent very quickly out of the impetist. So I didn't, even though I like playing with words and I like making words up, impetus didn't seem to be right for the Belfast Telegraph last night and what we were preaching about today. So we sat as a staff, well, at least Anna and Roberta and uh, Chris and I sat around for 10 minutes as I beat my problem with them around. And of course, Hunter had to go back to you too. He's more obsessed than I am. And he says, are you looking for we are vision over visibility? And I thought, that's exactly what I'm looking at. That we need a vision of what God's doing in the unseen as we see the visibility around us. I said also in the Rich Mullins night that we did a number of weeks ago, how rich, and this is another mantra of mine, there's certain mantras that I don't mind. There are certain things that I repeat, and when I repeat it, you think, He's repeating that, and I'm going, if I repeat that enough in the next 10 years, they'll get it, and they'll start using it. Um, and it's that idea that Rich had that we don't want to be good. We want to be gods with an apostrophe between the D and the S because we're in Northern Ireland, and you have to dot. If ever dot and I's and cross and T's was for one context, it's for the Northern Ireland context. We don't want to be just good, do nobody any harm. We want to be God's vision and God's visionaries. 
so that we break into the visibility with a new kingdom. And so it came to Acts 22. You might be asking yourself, why did we read that? We read that simply because the Board of Mission Ireland are bringing out a series of 28 thoughts on Acts, and I've got one to do, and it's on Acts 22. So I thought, let's kill two birds with one stone this week and try and spend a bit of time in it as we look at this vision over visibility. And as we look at this Acts chapter 2 very briefly, you'll find that it happens in Paul's life here. First of all, his visibility as this new sect meets and devotes themselves to the Bible and the sacraments and to this Jesus who was crucified and raised to life. As, as, as Paul, uh, Saul as he was, a zealous Jew, hears about all this and knows about them. He's there when they stone Stephen because his visibility is, this is not good for Judaism. We need to get rid of these freaky people. We need to stamp them out. That was his visibility. And on the way to Damascus, he has that vision of Jesus. And what I love about this when we read it in chapter 22 is the whole series that the Board of Mission Ireland are doing is God acts. And what I love about this is there's Paul, theologian. If we want to read Philippians 3 and find he seems to know all about the Pharisee law and he knows about all this and he's, he's really quite the Judaistic Pharisee, you know. And, uh, and suddenly gets a vision that this Jesus that he's been persecuting, this is a completely new vision for him. What does he say after it? Does he say, oh Lord, I would need to go to Bible college and rethink about that. No, he says, what shall I do? The immediate response to this transformed thinking is not to think too long, but what shall I do? This vision comes in and just smashes to pieces his visibility of how he saw it. Something unseen became so visible that he became blind and unseen. We could go on with that kind of metaphor for a while in this passage. But he get this new vision. And the new vision wasn't, here's something different from my Judaism. He discovers that this vision is actually the fulfillment of his Judaism. And he begins to see that the Jews were to be a light to the nation. That from the Jews, this person would come who would be the word made flesh and would be the one who would be the Messiah and the Savior and the Redeemer. And so he goes back to Jerusalem in this passage, but Jerusalem, their visibility doesn't get it. Siege mentality going on, looking inward, trying to defend. So he's caught with a few Gentiles around Jerusalem and immediately they're after him. You see, he's with the Gentiles always find it positive when people complain about who you're hanging out with. Because the people Jesus hung around with would get us into a lot of bother. And Paul gets with these Gentiles and immediately they jump to conclusions. Oh, he's had them in the place. He's had them into the temple where they're not supposed to be. There's no evidence of that at all. But what they're missing is the new vision that Paul has. Because Paul's vision is that we are to be a light to the Gentiles. Light to the Gentiles? Duh. Need to meet a few Gentiles. Not rocket science. But the Jews can't get this new vision. They're caught up in the visibility of some momentum that's running out of steam. And as the new impetus of the early church begins to be missional across the world... They're left behind literally. 
literally left behind. Literally left behind in the words that Jenny finished with this morning. Then the Lord said to me, go. I will send you to the Gentiles. It's like Jerusalem and the Judaism of the visibility of the momentum that is dying is gone and God's new impetus is to send to the entire world. And what we find happening, not only in this passage, but in the dynamic of the whole book coming out of who we are in Acts chapter 2, is this. In the Acts of the Apostles, the blueprint for the church in some levels, courage always won over safe and sensible. These guys got themselves into all kinds of messes that their parents would have said, are you sure that safe son? Courage in where they went and how they went and what they said and where they said it. The vision that they had of this new world order gave them a strength and a bravery that put them eyeball to eyeball with the devil if you can be eyeball to eyeball with the devil. Being God's New church, new people. One over a settling for being good. Paul was a good wee Jew. In fact, he was probably the best wee Jew around. And probably the neighbors said, Paul, Saul, Saul's a good wee Jew. Oh, he is good. He does all those, oh, he's an amazing wee Jew. He was good. But he wasn't God's at that point. As I say to said to my students last Saturday as I married a couple of them up on the north coast, I said, guys, I don't want your marriage to be good. I want it to be God's. I don't want you to do no harm. Oh, those, they're a lovely couple. They moved in beside us. And they're great, you know. They're good living. They don't do anybody any harm. You can do nobody any harm and do evil no harm. You can make no impression in the darkness that's across the world, and the war will go on as Caroline's been singing. We don't want good or doing nobody any harm. Neither did Paul when he got this new vision. Being God's won over a settling for being good, and dreams won over, I don't know how we can do that. Not sure we, not sure we could do that. There's only 12 of us, the entire world. I, I just don't think we can do that. It doesn't seem rational to me. Vision over visibility. How we will be and how we will do it, one over we can't do that. Impetus one over momentum and vision one over visibility. So here we are, 52 weeks in, and I think I blew it. Because people are saying to me, you know, it's in that fresh time that you can change things. And we foolishly come in and said, let's not change much in the first year. Ah, that was supposed to be the time I was doing it. I've missed it. So we're going into the second year. And this is what I long for. I've seen a lot of visibility. I've seen rats on floors. I've seen water costs that are far too big. I've seen a load of damp. 
I've sometimes heard sound systems in here that have been amazing and sometimes ours isn't. I've brought people into mother and toddler groups and I've thought, is this good to bring them in because it's a bit cold? I've seen us grow. The giving in many churches is down by about 30%. Our giving's up. There's been good things in the visibility, but there's things in the visibility where you think we're really going to have to move here. And if we stick with visibility, we will just be the same in 10 years' time. But if you're going to be the same in 10 years' time, can you tell Janice and I that today on the way out? Because we want somewhere else. I did not move from chaplaincy to come to somewhere that's going to be the same in 10 years' time. I really didn't. It would drive me insane. I came because I really believe that in this church this morning, we have people who can grab that vision and who have that vision and can be freed to have a vision that's over visibility that will make us a light in this city that will go on for years and years and years. But sometimes we're going to not have to ask questions about it, but find answers to it. Sometimes we're not going to say, we can't. We're going to say, how are we going to? We're going to have to stop talking. Because Paul didn't talk. He said, what shall I do? And then we've got to do it. I think we're up for it. I think it's exciting. And I hope when I go home I'm not alone. If we're going to come from this church that's built on the Bible teaching that we have, that's built on the Christ-centered sacrament that we're about to do, built in a community where gifts are used and utilized and we find the vocation where your deepest gladness meets the world's deepest need, then from that place like Acts 2, we can impact this world the same way that the apostles did because the same Holy Spirit will take us out the door today. Let's find, let's hear, let's move on the impetus of vision over visibility. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for that vision. We pray that you'll help us to hear it. We pray that you'll help us to respond to it and that visibility will not get in the way. But we will fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what we're involved in here is a story that didn't begin with us and will not end with us and will go into eternity. Lord, help us to see the vision and then give us courage to act upon it. In Christ's name, amen.